name is Rob. I'm one of the pastor elders. I'm on the preaching team. And I'm here to wish you a happy National Cheese Fondue Day. Yeah, so those of you who got married in the 70s and maybe the early 80s, this is your time to shine for those eight fondue sets that you got you never used. Okay, so um, a few weeks back, well, actually many, many weeks back now, you may remember. Um, well, first of all, let me preface this by we're continuing our series on Acts today. We're going to be in Acts 17. Uh, verses 1 through 15, for those of you who want to pull that up on a device or turn into it if you're old school and use an actual paper Bible, um, which I have fully endorsed. There's something about the tactile feel of it that I think that's actually, in a way, spiritual um, or can be, although I'm going to read it from my phone later, so don't judge me. Um, so anyways, a couple, uh, many weeks ago now, I preached on uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and um, I touched on a, a concept called people of peace. I don't know that I went into it very deep, but anyway, so this, this week, this sermon may have some parallels with that sermon. So I may have plagiarized myself, I may be repeating myself, but if you're like me, you walk away from a sermon five minutes later, you don't know what it was about, so I could probably preach the same sermon, none of you remember, and I would be fine. So, um, moving on to 17. So as, as an introduction, um, we are now in the book of Acts, what's called, known as Paul's second missionary journey, which began in chapter 15, verse 36, where Paul says to Barnabas, um, hey, let's go back and let's visit all the people that we saw on our first missionary journey and, and see how they're doing. And then immediately, as I believe Danny talked about, Paul and Barnabas got into a sharp disagreement. Um, and so Barnabas goes off with Mark to do his thing, and Paul hangs, now heads out with uh, Silas and Timothy. So three weeks ago, which uh, we've had Easter and Palm Sundays first uh, since then, when we first last saw Paul and Silas and Timothy, we presume, at least not really mentioned, uh, they had just left Philippi after being escorted out of prison, um, and then they went to visit uh, their co-laborer Lydia and her family and spent some time with some other believers. And now this week, um, we're moving on through the area, and they're going to come first to Thessalonica, which you may recognize from the letter, Paul's letters to Thessalonians. Um, and we're really going to, I'll read the verse first, and then we're going to note what, I'm setting the sermon up as I call it, the tale of two synagogues, apologies to Charles Dickens, and, but we'll read the passage as a whole before I start breaking it up, because I think that's helpful to just have an overall view of what's going on. So starting in uh, chapter 17, verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, and as was his custom, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned from them, from the, with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it is, let's start over, explaining and, and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authority, shouting, These men, who have turned the world upside down, have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. It's about 45 miles away, by the way. 
And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue pattern. Now, these Jews were more normal, were more noble, not more normal, more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowd. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his, on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. And those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Now, I, before I preached on Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, I mentioned I'm not, I don't really consider myself a strong evangelist. And, um, and the way God tends to work things in our lives, um, here I am preaching another sermon that has to do somewhat with evangelism. So, you know, I think God uses these sermons to speak to me, maybe even more than does, hopefully uses it to speak to you. Uh, he may not, but I don't know. Anywho, so we start back at the first verse. Now, when they had passed Amphipolis or Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, "This Jesus, who I proclaim to you, is the Christ." So Paul establishes a pattern in the Book of Acts and during the missionary journeys. He, he kicks things off, so to speak, by going to the synagogues. And using the scriptures to argue to the Jews that the Messiah that they've been waiting for all these years has in fact come in the person of Christ Jesus. And he's, as it says, he reasons from the scriptures, and this would be the Old Testament as we have it today. The New Testament has yet to be written. Um, that Jesus must die and be raised from the dead uh, in three days. And on some level at this first synagogue, and um, this is the first of our two synagogues, as you may have guessed from my title, um, some, it does say that some of them were persuaded to join Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and a few of the leading women. So there was, there was some success. But now, um, the Jewish leaders of the synagogue start to get a little jealous, and there's another reaction. And it says, but the Jews, and you can read that as leaders of the synagogue, these were the, the prominent Jews, were jealous. And taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them, a.k.a. Paul and Silas, and presumably Timothy, out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authority, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Hang on, things are jumping around. Yeah, sorry about that. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. And the people, the sit, the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And, and um, when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So what do we see here? So this is, we see here in this, um, in this synagogue, number one, a real opposition to the gospel. Uh, why? I think in this case, jealousy. They're looking at these people and saying, these people are going off and following Paul. These are our people. You know, this is a threat to our control. This is a threat to our power. This is a threat to our way of life. This is upending things. This is disrupting things. And, and we don't like that. So they decide to take action. And it's, it's interesting to me. They don't debate Paul. 
they don't go to the scriptures and say, Paul, this is why you're wrong. Um, instead, it says they go get the wicked men of the rabble. And these aren't even people of the synagogue. These aren't even devout Jews. In fact, they probably weren't Jews. Um, they got people from the local markets, and then they stirred them up using an argument that wasn't really even related to the issue. Because they go and get these people riled up saying, this guy is preaching another king that is not Caesar. So they're taking kind of an arcane political argument and twisting it to get this crowd lathered up to drive off Paul and Silas. And so when they go looking for them at Jason's house, they, they don't find them. So they drag Jason, who we assume is kind of a cohort or a supporter of uh, Paul and his friends. They drag him before the city leaders. Now the city leaders, having heard of other um, civil unrest, Jewish uprisings and such uh, against Rome, and knowing sometimes the brutal response Rome had to such uprisings, they get a little twitchy. And so they take money as security from Jason, which is basically kind of like Bond saying, hey, Jason, we're going to take some of your money. If you behave yourself, maybe you'll get it back. So they take his money, send him home, and hopefully he won't get, they, or their hope is he won't stir up trouble. So now Paul's brothers in verse 10, they sense trouble. So it says they send Paul and Silas away to Berea. As I mentioned before, it's about 45 miles an hour away. So they go and they go into another Jewish synagogue. They don't quit. They don't know how to quit. They were just run out of town by a mob for preaching in a synagogue. So what do they do when they go to the next town? They preach in the synagogue. What we're going to call synagogue number two in our story. Now, these Jews, this is in verse 11, more noble than those in Thessalonica, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men, now, it says these Jews were more noble than the Thess Thessalonian Jews. I really cannot say that word. Um, anyways, this term noble um, is a term that actually, it originally started out meaning of actually of noble birth, but it became more generally used to being someone who had high-minded behavior. And we see this high-minded behavior in the fact that they receive the word with all eagerness instead of worrying and so instead of worrying about their own beliefs uh, being challenged or their own security being threatened it says they examined the scripture daily daily to see if these things were so so they went away and did their homework and they said okay paul said this okay let's look down here does it say that well yep okay that's there yep okay what about paul he said over here what about this thing well i guess actually they're going like this because they have schools but we'll pretend they have books um and does paul say yes oh yeah that's there too and the result, belief. They search these things out, and you see these people come to learn the truth about the gospel and come to know Jesus. And this is such a difference from the first synagogue. But wait, uh-oh, what's that stopping sound? It sounds like feet approaching. Hmm. Well, here comes synagogue number one again in verse 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there to agitating and stirring up the crowds. I'm not saying they're stirring up the crowds again, not necessarily the people in the synagogue. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So where it gets back to the Jews in Thessalonica about Paul and Silas's success in Berea, 
And they get so mad, they hike 45 miles to Bria just to whip up another mob and run them out of town. So, um, and apparently they made it dangerous enough for Paul because their brothers felt they had to get him out of there by night. So in our story, now that we're through the passage, we see two very different reactions to the gospel. The first reaction is hostile, threatened by the potential of this new message to end the established systems. They strip away power and control, and, uh, and what I believe is insecurity, they get so angry that they're willing to hike a great distance just to keep the message from being preached again. The second reaction, welcoming, listening, diligent, uh, and eventually believing. Now, no one, nowhere does it say that Paul is surprised by this. And, oh, I'm going to, uh, sorry, I got to stop clicking so hard on this thing. Yeah, scroll back up. So nowhere do we see that Paul is surprised by this. And why? Well, you know, we actually see this before, because Jesus himself talks about these two reactions. So we're going to go back. We're actually going to turn over to Luke now. And um, the gospel, for those of you who don't know, Acts was written by Luke. And so, you know, there's actually a good you know, amount of continuity. Some people look at this as almost one book from Luke to Acts. Um, and so we're going to go to chapter 10. And this is what we say. This is when Jesus is sending out his 72 disciples to go and tell people that the kingdom of God is coming near to them. After this, the Lord, that is Jesus, appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now go, I am sending you like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone in the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. And in bold, if someone who promotes peace is there, keep that in your mind. Your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. But when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Bold also, listen. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, keep that in your mind. Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. For those of you who don't know the Old Testament, things didn't go so well for Sodom. Um, so skipping down to verse 16, and I want you to hear this. Whoever, because this is going to be key for what I have to say today. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So we see here that Jesus told his own disciples to expect the two different reactions that we see in Acts chapter 17. There will be some who promote peace. Um, those some that say, like, if um, that's back up in verse 6, if someone who promotes peace is there. But there will also be someone that says, but when you enter a town and are not welcomed, people who won't welcome you. And it doesn't say if, it says when. When people don't welcome you. So you have people of peace, but then you also have people of unpeace that you can expect to run into when you're spreading the news of the gospel. So let's take... So tied into our story today, let's take a look at Paul's actions after the synagogue in Thessalonica. I actually don't, I don't, he didn't turn around in Thessalonica, go back into the synagogue and say, 
oh, wait, no, let's, I'm going to use some like clever rhetorical argument um, to show you that your worldview is incorrect and demonstrate the fallacies in your logical arguments. He just, he just kind of leaves. And just an aside, I'm not, I don't want you to think I'm dumping on apologetics. Apologetics is incredibly important, and I don't want to like, I just don't want you to get that impression that I'm saying. I think apologetics are important, especially when you're dealing with the people of peace that we'll get to. So I, don't, I just don't want people who are into apologetics, I want you to take it for what it's worth. Um, so in a manner, he shakes off his sandals, as it says in Luke, and then he moves on to Bria. And then he goes to these other people, and he doesn't give up. He doesn't give up after he's met the people of unpeace. Um, he keeps going. Because Paul realizes what Luke says in 10.16 is that whoever rejects you rejects me. Paul realizes that they are not, the people in Thessalonica are not rejecting him. They're rejecting Jesus. And I know we're running out of time, so I think I'm actually going to skip a bit and try to get to this towards the end of this. What I'm trying to get at today is there is freedom offered us in sharing the gospel because we know we will hit people of peace. We know we will hit people of unpeace. But we can take freedom from the fact that when we are rejected, we are not rejected. When I share and they reject the gospel message, Rob Reed is not being rejected. They are rejecting Jesus. And guess what? That's something you don't have control over. And, you know, maybe you could get depressed about that. I used to get into arguments with atheists uh, back where I worked in Iowa, and, you know, get, I got depressed when I couldn't convince them to my point. But you don't need to. That is not the part. Your part is to proclaim. Your part is to share the word. And you'll get rejected sometimes. It'll be accepted other times. But if it's rejected, let it roll off. It's not you. It is Jesus they're rejecting. And that is largely up to God and the Holy Spirit. So just keep sharing, keep preaching, keep loving. And find the freedom of the fact that it's the work of God to move people to him. It is not your work. You get to participate in the proclaiming, the sharing. After that, they reject, they accept. If they accept, great. Work with them, disciple them, teach them. If they reject you, shake your sandal off. Metaphorically, you may not actually be wearing sandals. And they'll probably look at you strangely if you shake your shoe. But move on. Knowing that you're, you've been faithful. You're called to share. You've done it. Move on. Find different people. Hope for people of peace. Pray for people of peace. And keep sharing. Keep preaching. Keep loving. Thank you, Rob. We're going to transition to communion now. So I believe Doug and Betsy might be coming around with the cups. If you're on, uh, at home on Zoom, uh, you're welcome to grab your own elements at this point. And, um, as usual, I'll ask that you, everyone waits until, um, until I facilitate the taking of the elements together so we can all, actually all do it together. It's important to do it together. And I want to, uh, I actually want to linger just a little bit on this point that Rob really well brought out about Jesus's rejection. Um, it's really, it's important to us that we celebrate communion every week because it brings us in a very tangible way back to the center of what we believe in the sense of what Jesus experienced and what um, really the, the working out of our salvation 
And as you, in a minute, um, as you open up this cup, the wafer and the cup point to the flesh and the spilled blood of Christ. And is a reminder, It's a, among other things, it's a reminder of the very real rejection that the Lord of the universe gave himself over to on the cross for the world. So I believe everyone has their way for now. Go ahead and open it. Open the top. Take out the cracker. And dip it in the juice. And know that because of the rejection that Christ went through on the cross, know that you can be saved. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, as we receive these elements today, we turn our minds and our hearts to you on the cross and the rejection that you faced. But as scripture says that you scorned it, you scorned the shame for the joy that was set before you. So Lord, we are humbly reminded of, of the cross this morning. And we're also humbly reminded of the joy that we can experience in unity with you and the joy that Rob spoke about this morning, the joy, the gift, the privilege of being able to proclaim it, to proclaim our crucified and risen Savior to a world. A world in pain and a world in, in need, really, of salvation. So would you protect and seal what we've spoken about and heard about this morning in our minds and in our hearts. I pray this all in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.